Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of the queer vampire cycle as recommended by Terry Menard from Gaily Dreadful, and in this week's episode, I'll be talking about Joel Schumacher's The Lost Boys. Um, I want to read a quote to you. Here it is. Vampires are hot. They're the only erotic monsters. Frankenstein is not hot. <laughs> I didn't intend to read it in such a manner that made myself giggle, but so be it. Um, but that is a quote from uh, director Joel Schumacher, um, allegedly, according to IMDb, as to uh, an answer he gave as to why he directed or chose to direct this film. Now, nobody uh, <clears throat> apparently tell that to uh, Kenneth Branagh or Paul, or, or Paul Morrissey uh, when it comes to uh, the question of Frankenstein not being hot. But um, it kind of sets up basically... Um, my ideas, not even my ideas, but <clears throat> my observations of what Schumacher was doing with this film and how that ties into this um, queer reading of this film from, a, from that perspective. But I, I must admit, I am rethinking a little bit my um, somewhat neat um, reading of Fright Night, or maybe not the reading being neat, but the metaphor that I was drawing being a little bit neat. Um... It, it is because it, one, you know, it's not a perfect metaphor. Um, I didn't really come to a, uh, a conclusion which I felt was entirely satisfying as to here is how to read the film. Um, and I think that's because I uh, and um, Tom Holland, who wrote and directed the film, are both hetero. Um, and so I, I couldn't reconcile this, this reading of, of sort of a film which I, I thought on some hand or on one hand was kind of empowering to... Um, a, a queer viewer, and on the other hand, is also uh, hostile towards the characters which are queer coded. If you listen to my episode on Friday Night, you know that this was something I kind of struggled with, seemingly in real time. Um, and I'm kind of rethinking that because um, I kind of assumed going into the Lost Boys, the despite the fact that I have seen this movie uh, multiple times before, that the metaphor would be a little bit clearer. Um, just because we are, uh, I was watching a film that was directed by a openly gay director, and so I thought the um, the subtext would be a bit more textual, and the things to take away uh, as a as a queer viewer or as someone who is trying to read it from that perspective, that things would be a bit neater. Um, and it's not, uh, or they're not, and it's not a perfect metaphor. Uh, Lost Boys is not a perfect metaphor either, at least in how the film, or at least the film's main protagonist, and uh, the film world and the world of America and Santa Carla at the time viewed um, the characters that we see as queer-coded. Um, but, you know, even recognizing that, that Schumacher was, like I said, an openly gay man who did make a lot of significant changes to the script, along with uh, co-writer Jeffrey Bohm, um, to make uh, the initial idea be more adult and be more sexual. And so, um, you know, there are some 
if you want to call them positive things to pull from it, if you are uh, a queer uh, viewer watching this for the first time or going back through it again. Um, but there are also still some things where, like, but it's it's also it's also imperfect at the same time. And and but I guess like stepping back, let's let's examine a little bit of what the film started out as and what Schumacher helped uh, turn it into. Um, so it was originally uh, the the two the co-writers who um, initially started um, writing the screenplay um, when it was before it was in Schumacher's hands, uh, Jan Fisher and uh, James Jeremias. They were inspired by the Peter Pan myth and just this idea of um, a group of, of kids that never grow old, basically. And, you know, vampires also the thing about them is they never grow old. Um, uh, and it was originally set up for Richard Donner to direct, but then I guess when it, it got kind of um, slogged down in pre-production, and so he eventually dropped out. And uh, Mary Lambert, I believe, was also going to uh be attached to direct it and she dropped out and then ultimately Schumacher came in um, and made some changes to it with uh, Jeffrey Bohm um, and because it was originally set up uh, with Donner or the idea was he was going to direct it it was originally going to be more in line with the Goonies in the sense of um, it was going to be children it was going to be a group of children who kind of uh, discover um, these vampires uh, basically and kind of uh, fight back but Schumacher came in and he made it more Adult. He changed them to uh, to older teenagers um, or to young adults, and he also made them a lot more explicitly sexual and sexually appealing and dangerous. Um, and it, from the very from the opening montage, I know it's not the opening scene that is on on the on the boardwalk in the park where the the security guard getting uh, getting his comeuppance for throwing the boys off the the uh, merry-go-round. But from that opening montage when um, Sam and uh, David, I'm sorry, not David, when Sam and Michael are coming into town with their mom, played by Diane Weist, um, and we have um, When You're Strange, the that Doors song, which is being covered by Echo and the Bunnyman, um, just when we have, just from that opening montage, we it sets the scene for, or sets the mood for the kind of movie that we can expect, and, and what we can expect is an exploration of otherness. Even just the song, you know, when you're strange, um, faces come out in the rain, you know, uh, no one remembers your name. Uh, this idea that that the song really gets to, and I, and I love the the vibe just the that exists within the music of that song. Um, there is something eerie and unsettling, and the the way that the that the film opens and, and the faces that the montage shows emphasize this idea of otherness and of being, as the song says. Strange in an unfamiliar place, surrounded by unfamiliar people, um, and unfamiliar identities. Who are this? Who does that opening montage show? It, it shows the kind of people that in Reagan's America in the 1980s would be kind of considered the dregs of society. You have punks, you have homeless people, you have um, ethnic minorities, ethnic and racial minorities. You have basically not mainstream white people who are the people that are coming into this environment from Phoenix, Arizona is where they used to live, coming to Santa Carla, uh, California. Um, but it, it's, you know, it shows, it showcases the kind of people that, like I said, are, 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 were not just seen as kind of the dregs of society or the miscreants or the troublemakers of America at the time, but also the kind of people that you would find that have always found a voice in horror in a genre which attempts to be transgressive which attempts to be subversive 
which attempts to give voice to point of views and experiences that the mainstream had not allowed to give voice to previously. It is the the voice and the people that horror embraces, basically. Um, and we are the, the first people we are introduced to in this movie, even before the family comes in, are David and his vampire buddies. Um, and they are very clearly, um, Terry and I discussed this, they are very clearly the, the queer-coded characters, not just because of the implications of what vampirism could potentially stand in for, you know, as in that idea of exchanging uh, bodily fluids and the penetration of a person to change them into a different person, um, but also just the, the way that they uh, appear. Um, they are uh, dressed in leather, which, as Terry and I discussed, leather or, or a, a uh, um, an affinity for leather does not automatically key in someone to someone else's sexuality, but certainly especially in the 80s, I mean, look at fucking Cruising, uh, the Friedkin film, uh, but certainly in the 80s, um, an excess of leather was certainly um, attributed to a subculture of people, or there was the assumption that if you dressed a certain way, you were a different kind of person, that you did have different proclivities, basically. Also, their hair. Uh, there was a, um, I believe it's one of the Frog Brothers, um, after they they stake um, Alex Winter's character, Marco, I believe his name is, um, after they stake him later on, they, they, they say, I think, like, I, we killed Twisted Sister, or, you know, they, they referred to him as a, as, a, as a member of Twisted Sister in terms of his visual look, and it's important to remember that Twisted Sister, I mean, just look at their name, Twisted Sister, uh, but we're a band, like a lot of um, 80s uh, metal and rock and roll bands that dabbled in this idea of glam rock and of hair metal, and that idea of... Um, dressing in drag while playing and just playing with that idea of uh, identity uh, to make mainstream, more conservative audiences and people uncomfortable, uh, basically to kind of rub it in their faces and, and just kind of uh, be more than just the definition of, of who people thought they were. Um, and, 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 you know, so, so we have, we, we have, uh, we have this, you know, one-two punch, if you will, of David and his uh, vampire buddies who are queer-coded, and then the family comes into this town where we have Echo and the Bunnymen, um, you know, singing When You're Strange with this montage, and just it, 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 re it emphasizes and re-emphasizes this idea of characters who are coming into an, an, uh, an atmosphere that they are unfamiliar with. And, and it's interesting to me to kind of think that, it's in a way, it's not the vampires who are the other in this town, I mean, think uh, think ahead to Grandpa's uh, line at the very end. You know, one thing about San Santa Carla, I never could stomach all the damn vampires. And so there's just this idea that these, this is a common knowledge that everyone knows. This is what's up with Santa Carla, and so there is this idea that um, it is the family. <laughs> that are the others in this scenario, that um, if the vampires are queer-coded, if the others are, are, are the ones who are, uh, well, that, that the people who are not queer-coded, basically the people who are kind of the, the straight white depiction of conservatism, conservatism, excuse me, they are the others. They are the weird ones in this situation. Um, but, you know, like I said, David and his buddies, they, they, they not just, they wear leather. They kind of only spend time with each other. If you want to 
uh, go so far. You could consider them hanging upside down from, you know, the ceiling in their cave to be kind of, they sleep with each other. Um, and it's interesting to me that um, the the scene, I mean, we, we clearly see that they have taken victims of both sexes. There's, there's the security guard at the beginning. There's uh, that couple in the car where they've ripped the top off of it. But the only time when we see them physically attack people, when we are actually a witness to their feeding frenzy, when we see them, if you will, penetrate their victims, is that bonfire sequence, which is wonderfully shot, um, that bonfire sequence in which they are attacking a group of men. There are no women victims in that group. And, and, and even Star, who is kind of a, um, you know, a half vampire, half person, um, we don't see her display these vampire um, these vampire traits. You know, we know she is, uh, but we never see her fangs. We never see her attack anyone. She's just kind of, uh, you know, if anything, bait to draw in Michael, to draw in another man into this group. You know, uh, join us, Michael, is what, is what uh, uh, David keeps saying. Like, let go, you know, and, you know, that's, it is quite explicit when they're on the bridge, you know, let go of his grip, but also let go of your identity. Um, and so we see these guys, you know, our entry into this world, we see these queer-coded characters as the film would have us, you know, believe they are bad guys. They are miscreants, you know, they, are, they, they loiter in stores and they ride their bikes too fast. And then, of course, they are vampires who um, literally kill other people. But similar to Dangerage in uh, Fright Night, they're more interesting than everyone else in this movie. They are, yes, they're dangerous, and there's something um, kind of repulsive about hanging out with them, and yet at the same time, their lair is a, a historic hotel that sank into a fault line back in the early 1900s. They stay up all night. They do whatever they want to do. They uh, dress however they want to dress. They are not beholden to moral or legal authority they are more interesting they are more intriguing characters than sam or uh the boring suburban mom or the weird um you know insular grandpa you know these are these are characters where um society especially at the time would certainly have us believe they are troublemakers but they're also the kind of characters we can't take our eyes off of especially due to the a, a pretty great performance i think from keith or sutherland in in as the role of the um lead quote-unquote vampire of david um and even uh, even edward herman who who portrays you know max the the actual head vampire um you know kind of moonlights as a regular boring suburban person who um owns, I would have to assume, or runs a video store, basically, you know, and, and you know, uh, he, he appears kind of boring with his suits and his glasses, and, and is this kind of thing of, like, the, he, in order to blend in, he kind of portrays this boring person, basically, or you could make the argument as well that, um, does he blend in, or, or do, do David and his vampire buddies necessarily stand out, or in this environment of Santa Carla, as I said, are Sam and his family, are they the weird ones for coming in here? The boring ones, the ones who are coming from Phoenix, Arizona, you know? Those are the weird ones, whereas these vampires have a home here in Santa Carla, in this um, West Coast kind of liberal atmosphere, if you will. Um, that I, I find to be um, kind of quite interesting. And uh, this was, you know, um, 
we we make fun of uh, it uh, it being the Twilight movie series and, and rightfully so in many regards. But um, the fact that we had that we have a a, a a movie series, I know they were based on books, but the fact that we have a movie series like Twilight where we have young, um, attractive, sexually virile and 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 regular people vampires basically. We don't have that, I think, if we don't first have The Lost Boys, in which um, it was a film which moved away from this model of the vampire being a foreign kind of um, capital O other monstrosity, like Bela Lugosi as Dracula, basically. You know, he's, he's from a different country, and he dresses a different way, and he speaks in a different way. And even... Uh, Dangerage, you know, he's the more interesting, uh, or the most interesting character in Fright Night, but also, you know, he's an adult when all the other ones are kids, and he has, um, not strange, but a kind of flamboyant, uh, costumes that kind of stick out in this suburban, um, environment, if you will, and yet, um, David and his guys, uh, while, uh, to us, the viewer, uh, or at least, let's say, to us, the, you know, the viewer, um, certainly in 1987, or to uh, Michael and Sam and their family, while they seem like the outsiders to to these plain, boring folks, um, they just kind of blend right in in the boardwalk. They kind of blend in on the beach. They kind of blend in in this atmosphere of diverse, um, miscreant culture, if you will. Um, and, and I attribute uh, that somewhat to uh, the cinematography of Michael Chapman. Uh, Michael Chapman, uh, I believe this was his first film uh, in like four years. He had taken kind of a break, but he had shot um, Raging Bull. He had shot The Last Temptation of Christ. He had shot The Departed. He was um, great for, I I don't want to just kind of make it um, stereotypical, uh, you know, gritty realism, if you will, but he was great at shooting an atmosphere that... um, was unfamiliar to us, but felt kind of familiar in its danger to the characters that were inhabiting that. I mean, um, the world of Raging Bull, of, of, um, of Jake LaMotta's life, is certainly not one I would, I would want to inhabit, um, similar to uh, Jesus' uh, time in, in Last Temptation of Christ and the criminal underworld of uh, Frank Costello in The Departed, but the way that he shoots it makes it seem so familiar to its characters and so lived in while also being so dangerous um and so just the way that you know that there's a i was watching this admittedly on like a a kind of an old dvd copy uh the one that was old enough where it was double-sided where one side was the widescreen version and the other side was the the kind of the four by three square version um and so the fact that it wasn't a a high definition transfer it wasn't a blu-ray or an updated um you know digital uh uhd file um kind of played into that atmosphere more of just like this is a this is a strange place to be there's there's some real danger but also some some sexiness there you know something that's alluring something that like I said I can't really take my eyes um off of and I do attribute that to some of the fantastic camera work of Michael Chapman um and uh and and you know so I've, I've talked a little bit about just this the um the subtext and, and you know, this queer coding and this idea of 
of the uh, the vampires being the others, the, the queer-coded characters. And um, while doing a little bit of, of research on this, I stumbled upon an article from um, a, a website called uh, Bright Wall Dark Room. It's an essay uh, called 30 Years Ago, The Lost Boys Introduced Me to Queer Cinema by um, an author named Alcee Leva. Um, and as is often the case, a lot of people say the things that I want to say, but better than I can say it. So I'll, I'll, I'll quote his essay on this to kind of um, re-emphasize this idea of like the the intention and also how to read it. But he says, uh, though Michael's initial coercion stemmed from his attraction to Star, in the moment he gives himself and is left changed by his attraction to the Lost Boys lifestyle, Lost Boys being an allusion to the clan of boys in Peter Pan who never wanted to grow up and despised every girl except a fairy. The scene where David tells Michael to let go because you're one of us is followed by an odd sequence where Michael seems to be flying or free-falling, landing on his bed a changed man. And so there's this idea that this stuff is, is quite explicit, um, that it, 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 it's not just a, a, a thing that people could read into because of maybe there's, there's some coincidence or subtext, but that it, it was put there by its creator, that it was put there by Joel Schumacher to kind of be like, yep, this is... This is what I'm. This is what I meant. This is what I'm talking about. And these are who these characters are, not just these are how these characters read. And now some of the stuff that I've talked about has been kind of overt or is um, explicitly kind of an interpersonal thing. How people um, interact or react to each other. You know, the drinking of of wine or standing in as as actually the drinking of David's blood or this idea of the biting as sort of a metaphor for penetration. But those are also one person doing something to another person. Um, but I think that there's more, there's actually a lot more to it in this film. There's, there's a lot more subtle things which kind of read as to who these um, you know, the, uh, to, that, that, that re-emphasize this metaphor of not just who the queer characters are, but also how do some of our main characters feel about them or feel about themselves? And it starts with Sam, Sam's attire. Um, you, you don't kind of, I mean, you probably will kind of notice it. It is quite flamboyantly 1980s in many regards, and it's bright colors and uh, bagginess and, and, you know, kind of seeming like it's too big for, um, uh, you know, two children, let alone one. Um, but it really stands out when he's hanging out with the Frog Brothers, who are very much, you know, kind of camo and basic and T-shirts and jeans. And Sam kind of looks like he's training to be a coked-up, like, entertainment lawyer from the 1980s. Well, because it is the 1980s, but just like, what, what are you, what are you doing? What are you wearing? Don't, don't you realize how much you stand out? How much you are the other here? Um, there's also um, a sequence, you know, the sequence in which um, Sam, uh, you know, hides the stuffed beaver that his his grandfather gives. He doesn't want to look at it. He jams it in the closet. And um, you can uh, quibble with me if you want, but you know what. What is another, what is a euphemism, what is slang for uh, a vagina, but beaver. His grandfather gives him one, and he is disgusted by it. He doesn't want it to, he doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want it to be around him. And it's also interesting to think, like, well, what does he do with it? He shoves it into a closet. That closet is decorated by a poster of a very young, very alluring-looking Rob Lowe. It seems like a poster that has no business being on the wall of a uh, young hetero kid um, who is really into uh, comic books and, by all intents and purposes, um, is really kind of disgusted when he finds out his 
brother is a um, a shit sucking vampire, and he's going to tell mom about it. Um, and 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 so this, so that's interesting, and also just that idea of uh, shoving something into the closet, not wanting it to get out of the closet. Um, there, there's 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 a lot there um, that just kind of indicates once again who this character is, and maybe he also doesn't realize what's inside of him. He never. He's never self-conscious. He never seems to really draw attention to himself, or there's never really attention drawn to him that he seems out of place. He's a guy that maybe has, you know, maybe to our, our similar to our, our our main character from Fright Night, um, his reaction to how his brother is, you know, coming out is is sort of a, a reaction to like uh, I don't like these feelings. They make me uncomfortable because um, the society that I've been used to does not like these feelings either, even though there there seems to be something there where it's like, this is very clearly who he is as well. And I can't be, the final note is, I can't be sure of this, but when Sam first comes into the comic book store that the Frog Brothers are running, you know, they're kind of eyeing him skeptically. He's walking through the shelves. And I believe that the comic that he picks up, not the before they have the discussion of where the Supermans uh, should be in arrangement to each other, but the one that he picks up that causes them to kind of come over and start speaking to him, I think is a Spider-Man comic during the run where Spider-Man, where Peter Parker had the uh, black symbiote costume, the, the one that would ultimately kind of possess um, Eddie Brock and turn him into Venom. Uh, but if that's the case, then that's significant too, because we have this outside thing, entity, creature, possessing Peter Parker and changing him and turning him into not even someone who's different, but just a, a more heightened version of himself. There's kind of an awareness of the feelings that exist within inside Peter Parker, but the symbiote, that alien costume, makes them more extreme, draws them out. Um, and so that's an interesting metaphor, too, for this idea of feelings awakening inside of somebody and just kind of... Um, a, a more extreme or a more enthusiastic exploration or embodiment of feelings that existed inside this person from the very beginning. So uh, maybe that's me reading too deep. Maybe Joel Schumacher didn't intend for that specific issue to be the one that Sam picked up. But in a film where there are some other... Um, analogies or metaphors or illusions that are quite blatant i it's it all becomes part of a rich tapestry to me um but then having said all this at the end of the day um the queer coded characters still need to be killed in order for there to be resolution um their influence has to be eradicated from the face of the earth there is this idea that in order for us to be normal again in order for michael to be accepted again in order for this standard kind of nuclear suburban family to be whole again the vampire influence the gay influence has to be eliminated from their lives you know once again getting back to the joke that grandpa makes um the one thing he never could stomach about santa carla are all the damn vampires and maybe that's a generation an older generation saying the one thing i never could stomach about santa carla or all the damn gay people running around, um, which is very much an, an older generation, an older person thing to say. Once again, getting back to uh, this this essay that I 
that I initially quoted, he says, Regardless of how much of a guilty pleasure it is, The Lost Boy isn't without its faults. The goofiness of some scenes doesn't always gel with its horror elements, and certain scenes, if dissected through queer theory, can be quite problematic. For instance, I found it quite disturbing that Michael unsuccessfully tries to prey on his younger brother while he bathes, an odd allusion to homophobic stereotypes that, while played for laughs, only complicates the subtext. Likewise, the fact that Michael reverts back to his former self after the Lost Boys and their secret vamp daddy are destroyed can be seen as a disturbing answer to cure him of their influence. The only thing I can cite to offset those types of narratives narratives is that the film was marketed as a horror comedy directed by Joel Schumacher years before he slapped nipples on a Batman and called it art. And so, you know, what he seems to be saying is that um, maybe to kind of get around these problematic... um, uh, this problematic subtext is the fact that, you know, we were supposed to laugh at that sort of stuff. So we're supposed to laugh at not just some of this, the surface level things, but also laugh at this idea that um, these, that there is a cure, that this is a thing that needs to be cured. That, that basically, that this isn't a film that we're supposed to take 100% seriously, that we're supposed to take it all with a little grain of salt, that we're all supposed to be biting our cheeks a little bit while we're, while we're watching it. Um, and so this is why I say once again that the metaphor isn't perfect and that I was trying to, you know, I've been rethinking sort of the, the metaphor, the equivalencies that I was drawing about Fright Night because I don't think it is perfect or it can be perfect and I, and I don't think it can be perfect because of the time in which this movie came out. Once again, Reagan's American, 1987. Um, they probably weren't ready or prepared or necessarily wanted to see a movie where we related to the vampires, where we were empathetic to the vampires, um, and yet we have a director who is making these vampires, like I said, the more interesting characters, the dangerous characters, or the one that society paints as dangerous. And once again, I know that they are vampires literally killing people, but this is also a movie that um, our entry into it, or our POV, is supposed to be of these allegedly heterosexual white conservative suburban people and so they are going to view these others as dangerous they are going to view these others as something that needed to be cured that needed to be removed um and so you know maybe it's it's um slight progress in in you know in the sense of uh, you know representation um and not uh not distant in otherness uh you know like i said they're these vampires are sort of they're just like everyone else um they may just get lost in the Santa Santa Carla crowd, you know. They they, they don't stand out as like a Bella Lugosi type, where like they are just kind of like regular people. And so maybe just giving that representation of they are kind of like regular people, though you know that one step forward, which would ultimately um, you know culminate in Edward and the vampires in Twilight, not just being kind of like regular people, but superior even in many regards, um, superhuman, if you will. Um, so maybe it's a slight step forward and just that there is representation, that they are not these foreign, strange people. Um, and so it, it's this idea of like, yeah, they may be different, but don't you want to see more of them? Like they may be kind of quote unquote evil, but don't you want to know a little bit more about their story, about where they come from, about when they discovered or, or realized who they were? Um, and, and so maybe maybe that's it. Uh, or, or maybe it is not, or maybe there is no perfect metaphor, um, and I'm just kind of, uh, trying to grasp at straws, um, and make a, uh, a, 
a, a neat reality of things, almost as though I were um, an astrologer uh, looking to the stars to make sense of um, things which just can't ultimately be uh, entirely made sense uh, of. But um, yeah, so if you uh, want to rewatch. Um, the Lost Boys, watch it for the first time. It, uh, similar to Fright Night, is available pretty much everywhere. Um, also, if you want to watch it on a higher grade quality than just the double-sided DVD that um, I realize I have. Um, it's free to stream if you have a subscription to uh, Fubo TV or DirecTV. Otherwise, it is available to rent or purchase on Google Play, YouTube, Apple TV, Amazon, Fandango Now, Voodoo, the Microsoft Store, um, Redbox and um, AMC on demand. So uh, that's it for the Lost Boys. I am always curious to hear what people have to say um, in agreement or disagreement. It seems like most of the time it's in disagreement, but it's easy enough to reach me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. Feel free to tweet at me at Nolan Fixes Teeth. Um, chime in on the comment field on uh, battleshipretention.com and finding I Do Movies Badly in the podcast drop down menu. Um, you can also catch up on back episodes there or on idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. Um, seek me out too on any place that you can get uh, your standard podcast, whether that be uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Um, Apple Podcasts or anywhere and uh, you know take the time to leave me a rating um, I would greatly appreciate that I always want to know what people think of the show of these individual episodes and of the movies that I uh, watch and review so yeah that is it for um, The Lost Boys be sure to tune in next week where I'll be wrapping up uh, the theme and the month um, by reviewing Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.